My life flows on in endless song above us
proclaim the good news of Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. God welcomes you here in the name of Jesus Christ. To the stranger searching for fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to whomever will come, this congregation opens wide its doors and welcomes you. We are glad that you're here today. As an extension of God's welcome to you, let's turn and welcome one another. We're glad that you're here with us today. If, whether you are visiting for the first time or whether you're a regular, we're so glad that you're here. And there is, uh, at the center end of each of the rows, there should be a friendship pad. We'd love to have you fill it out. Let us know that you're here with us today and pass it on down so the other people in your row can fill it out too. The Connections, which is in our bulletin, has several things that are going on in the life of our church. Uh, one of them is that we have a continuing Bible study on the book of Romans that is going on on Tuesday evenings, and you can see the information about that here. Today there is right now a pathway to membership class. I won't look if you want to leave and go and be part of that. Jerry is leading a discussion for those who want to uh, become members of this congregation. This evening at 5 o'clock, we are honored to have Mark Hansen and his wife, Greta Peterson, in concert at 5 o'clock. You will hear some of them this morning, and you'll be able to hear much more this evening. And you'll notice that there's a suggested donation, so you don't have to get tickets ahead. You can just do that when you're here this evening. We hope you join us. On the inside, you'll notice that there is a new women's group that just started this last week. It's on Wednesday mornings, and there's still a chance for you to sign up. It's not too late. They're studying the wonderful book, that 1,000 Gifts by Anne Voskamp, about gratitude. It is a great bunch of women. Uh, all of you are invited to, uh, to be part of that. We have an ongoing series, a six-week series on Sunday mornings, Responding to God's Mercy. We started that last week with Jeff McCrory, who I cannot catch. There he is. I thought you were just here. I, you've moved on me. Jeff McCrory was teaching that group last week. That group continues next week, and one of the books that he was talking about is a book that is called what, what Your Body Knows About God. Now, if the first service people didn't already beat you to it, I have one copy out on the library cart on the patio this morning that you might want to check out if you want to know more about that. Our picture directories have arrived. Many of you have picked them up. If your picture is in it, there's a complimentary one for you. If your picture is not in it, you can get one for yourself for $10 out on the patio this morning. Next week will be the last Sunday to participate in our gift that we're giving to the, for Mother's Day to the mothers of children who are critically ill. The Frocks Friends of Catherine are putting together gift bags for those moms. You can see the things that we're collecting here, and there's a basket on the patio that you could contribute to. Uh, some people have asked if they can contribute money to that instead, and that is okay. We have, done, we have gone out and bought a few extra things that are needed. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray. Great God, we are people who must sing you, and you are a God who must be sung by us for the sake of your majesty and honor. We are witnesses to your splendor at work in the world to your mercy to us in Jesus Christ, and we will not keep silent ever again. So we come to you now with lyrics that push us past our reason, with melodies that break open our givens, with cadences that locate us home beyond all our safe places, with tones and tunes that open our lives and our world to you. We come to worship you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please join me for a call to worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried, and was hurt by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, 
and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let us stand and worship the Lord.
come all who are weary and heavy laden come to me and I will give you rest for your souls he said for my burden is easy for my yoke is light and so we sing together call to confession comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14. When Jesus noticed how the guest chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let us pray. O Lord, who loves us as a father, who cares for us as a mother, who came to share our life as a brother, we confess before you our failure to live as your children brothers and sisters bound together in love. For the times we have lied to one another and the times we have been lied to, 
For the times we have laughed at another's pain and the times we have been laughed at. Let your mercy transform us, O Lord. For the times we have spoken when we should have remained silent. And the times we have remained silent when we should have spoken. Let your mercy convict us, O Lord. For the times we have betrayed a friend. And the times we have been betrayed. Let your mercy heal us, O Lord. For the times we have not respected another's freedom to be different from us. Let your mercy change our hearts, O Lord. Lord, we marvel that you gather the pieces of our brokenness to do your work, that you bless us with forgiveness and with signs of new life. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week it seems that everywhere I turn, I hear something about David Brooks's new book, which is The Road to Character. He said that he has noticed in his life some people who he admires very greatly. He, he says he, he's not sure what it is about them. It seems like they have sort of a luminosity, but they seem quite different than he is, and, and he would like to be more like they are. So a, as he's been trying to figure out how they are different than he is, he says he realizes that there are two different sets of virtues. There are the resume virtues, the ones that you need in the workplace, and David Brooks has certainly built up a number of those resume virtues. And then there are the eulogy virtues, the ones that people will use to talk about you when you're gone, whether you were brave or kind or faithful or loving. And he realizes that everybody knows that the eulogy virtues are more important And yet we don't have very much in our society to help us work on those sides of ourself. So he decided that he would set out for himself to explore more about uh, his own personal depths and to be able to create more of a balance between his resume virtues and his eulogy virtues. He realized that there had been quite a gap opening in his life. He had just sort of graded himself morally on the curve and figured out that if people pretty much liked him and he didn't harm anybody, he must be doing okay. But he decided that he wanted to do better than that. One of the things he noticed about these people that he admired so much is that they all seemed to have humility. Now, humility is one of those things I just think makes us nervous. We like it a lot in other people, but we really think they need it more than we do, don't we? (laughs) Humility just doesn't seem to be the way that you get any attention. It doesn't seem to be the way you get ahead. I mean, we've all seen people who think very lowly of themselves who've been so paralyzed by fear or by their low self-esteem that they just don't even be able to do anything. We've seen humble people overlooked. We've seen them get the short end of the stick. We've seen them even denied their rights because they didn't speak up, whether that was in the workplace or with neighbors or in the community. It seems like being humble actually just makes a lot of problems for people. But that's not the kind of humility that David Brooks or that the Apostle Paul is talking about. What Brooks saw in the people that he admired was he said not that they undervalued themselves, but that they were able to take a good, honest look at themselves. And so they could sort of see themselves from a distance. They could see the pluses and the minuses about themselves and be rigorously honest. In his book, he spotlights several famous people and talks about how they had worked on their own interior life. He said each of these people that he was writing about had discovered in their lives that they had a particular besetting sin, something that just kept coming up again and again for them that seemed to be the core of their problems. And in in the case of each of these that he wrote about, they set out to work on whatever that shortcoming was in their lives. One of them was Dwight Eisenhower, and his sin was that he was so angry. 
He realized as a leader that he could not project anger in order to lead people, that he had to be positive. And so he did things that nobody else saw him do. They were kind of silly in order to handle his anger. He, like, he wrote the names of people that he didn't like and he tore them up and threw them away. Things like that. And after he had done these kinds of things for a long time, his character began to mellow and he actually began to experience less anger. By taking an honest look, an accurate look at himself, he and these other people that were written about in this book, their character actually was built on their confrontation with the weakness in their lives. When Paul tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, it's that kind of humility that takes an accurate view of who we are and what we're really like. The standard that Paul seems to set here by which we can measure ourselves is the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, if you read that verse just out of context, you didn't read anything else around it, you might think that what it's saying is that God gives a different measure of faith to each person. You've already started calculating your faith quotient, haven't you? And that you should think of yourself in terms of how much faith God has given you, perhaps in comparison or in contrast to other people. But N.T. Wright says, we would do better not to just look at this verse in isolation, but to look at it as part of all that we have already read in the book of Romans. We have been reading Romans since September, and we have discovered a lot in this book, haven't we? One of the things that we have realized is that faith, as it's talked about throughout the book of Romans, is the same for all of us. Faith is not something we come up with a certain amount of. It's a, it's a gift that God gives to us, and he gives it to all of us out of his pure mercy. If he didn't give us that gift of faith, we wouldn't even be able to trust Christ as our Savior and our Lord. In this case, the measure of faith is the same for all of us. It's not like different people have different amounts of faith. Nobody, therefore, is in a position to say, well, I have more faith than you do, or to feel like I don't have as much faith as other people do. It is a gift that God gives the same amount to all of us. So if that's the case, then we don't have those differences by which we can measure ourselves. Billy Graham used to say, the, foot, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Paul is establishing here a level playing field right from the beginning. Mercy changes everything. It changes the way we look at ourselves. It changes the way that we look at one another, doesn't it? So God's mercy is the place to start. When he begins to write, as he is doing here throughout the chapter 12 of this book, about life together in the church. He's going to talk about what our lifestyle should be as those who have received God's mercy, what community for us will look like. In Paul's day, political orators used the metaphor of the body in order to talk about the Roman Empire. They talked about the empire as having many members of the body and that the head of the body was the emperor. And therefore, each part, each member of the Roman Empire should play their part for the greatness of the empire and for the greatness of the emperor. So Paul picks up that secular metaphor and talks about the church as the body of Christ and each of us as members of that body, but not with the emperor, of course, as the head, but with Jesus Christ as the head. I am members of a lot of things. If you look at the tags that hang on my keychain, or you look at the cookies on my computer if you were able to do that, you would discover that I am a member of the Laguna Beach Garden Club, of the gym, a member of Costco, a member of frequent flyer programs, a member of many rewards programs for pretty much any place that I shop. But being a member of the body of Christ is not like being a member of any of those other things. It's more like 
the way my fingers and my toes are members of my body. It's not just something out there that I'm a member of. It's connected organic. So if we are members of the body of Christ and members of one another, we are very closely tied together in an organic way in something that God has done and that God has given to us. Because we are connected to him, we are connected to one another in a way that is quite a mystery. For many of us, it's not hard to believe that we in this congregation are a community in Christ, that we are members of one another. We have done so many things together. We've joined our voices in worship. We have studied the Bible together. We've been in discussions in small groups. We have sweated together to set up vacation Bible school or third Friday clippers or hospitality night or Mother's Day in the Rose Garden. We have built this place, rebuilt it together in many ways. We have a rich history together, and many of us feel very connected and a sense of belonging. That makes us feel united with one another. But all those experiences are not what connects us. What connects us is that God has made us one together. Unity is a gift he has given to us. It's not something we have to work to make happen. It is something for us to live into and live out and maintain, but it's not something that we have to sort of conjure up together. It is his gift that holds us together, that makes us one. Certainly our unity is not because of our uniformity because we are very different. In the body of Christ, we are one with people who are actually strangers to us, people who name Christ as Lord and who live in places around the world that I've not even heard of. People who think and worship and read things so very differently than the way I do or the way you do. Even within the small number of churches in Laguna Beach, we are one with people who are Christians who just even do church very, very differently than the way do, we do. Within our congregation, if you just think about our different experiences of worship that we bring to this place. Some of us come from no church background at all. Others of us have come from Judaism or Buddhism, some from the Roman Catholic Church, some from Eastern Orthodox, some from Baptist, some from Mormon. We have come from lots of different places, and we have been shaped and formed by the worship experiences in all of those different situations that we bring together on a Sunday morning. Some of us have traveled extensively, and we have worshiped with brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa, in Asia, in Palestine, in India, in so many different places, even in Scotland, our home root church. Some of us have worshipped in postmodern emerging church settings, and others of us have no idea what that even means. Some of us have come from idyllic Christian community. Others of us have been wounded by churches and have found this congregation to be a place of refuge for us. All of these experiences and many more experiences of our life shape the way we come on Sunday, the way we hear a sermon, the way we hear God's word, the way we hear and the way we sing our praise to God. We do mission together. We do all these things together. We, one in Christ, with all these different backgrounds, it's a mystery, isn't it? Our son and his family moved to Santa Barbara a year ago, and they're still trying to find a church congregation which seems to be a good fit for them. He was recently explaining to me that he thinks it would be a lot easier if churches were homogeneous. So whatever their stripe, whether they were some kind of progressive or some kind of conservative, that they would just do and preach and live and create a culture around 
whatever they are, and then whoever didn't like it could go somewhere else to church, that they would just work out fine. Well, Santa Barbara has a lot of churches, so maybe that would be true. I used to think that that would really work. Have you ever been in that kind of church? I have. Now, in that kind of church, you understand, we were supposed to agree on almost everything. We were supposed to vote the same, to read scripture, every verse of scripture, to read it exactly the same as everybody else in the congregation read it. We were supposed to read the same books and not read this other whole bunch of books and be influenced by those books. We were, pray, we were supposed to pray the same and to parent the same. It was as though we were created with a holy cookie cutter and we were all supposed to look alike. It was a very small box. I thought it was more tribalism than it was unity. It was us versus them. And quite simply, we were right, and whoever disagreed with us was wrong. In fact, perhaps they weren't even Christian. It was an all-or-none kind of a package. There was no room for anyone in the congregation to read something from somebody that they might disagree with. There was no room for anyone to begin to understand something in Scripture or in a sermon a little bit differently than they had understood it before. There was no room for anyone to grow and perhaps change their understanding of something because then they wouldn't belong anymore at all. There was no nuance. We were all the same. Some people who study these sorts of things think that that is a particularly American idea. They think that what many of us may have done is to conflate life in the church and unity in the church with the idea of the American melting pot, the idea that we all come from different backgrounds and we're sort of put in a blender together and we all come out just the same as one another. In places like that, tolerance for diversity is very low, as you might expect. In those churches, people often talk about that Probably the New Testament church was just like that, that they all thought alike. Really? I mean, don't you remember Paul and Barnabas? They had a great disagreement about whether they should take John Mark with them on their mission trips. Remember how the church had their great conflict about whether Gentiles like us should be allowed into the church, should even hear the gospel of Jesus preached to them and be able to, to ever come to know Jesus as Lord. The church, even the early church, was more like a mixed salad with lots of different flavors than it was a melting pot that made everything taste the same. In the Presbyterian Church USA, the denomination to which we belong, we believe that God alone is Lord of the conscience. That means that we expect that godly and scholarly people might sometimes come to different opinions about things. Our disagreement doesn't necessarily mean that one of us is unspiritual or that one of us hasn't studied enough. That we would agree if we would just pray more or if we would just get some more information from one another. But in fact, that it could be possible that the Holy Spirit, speaking to each of us, through our life experiences and our many different places that we have been in life, could be, bringing us, <clears throat> could be bringing us to an understanding that is different from the way the Holy Spirit has led someone else to think of the same thing. And that that could be okay. Now that means I do not agree with everything that our General Assembly decides. It means I don't agree with everything that I hear expressed at our presbytery. But that's okay for me. In fact, I kind of like it that way. It was nearly 10 years ago, the year that I was first a commissioner to our General Assembly, our national gathering, that the moderator of our presbytery, a friend of mine, decided to form a group of people to talk about the issue that was thought to be the primary issue that would be coming to the General Assembly that year. 
she thought it would be an opportunity for us to begin to talk about a very difficult situation and be able to begin to listen to one another. So she created this topic around, she created this discussion group around the topic of whether LGBT Presbyterians could be ordained as ministers, elders, or deacons. What an easy place to start for a conversation. So in the group, the group was structured so that about a third of the group was pro, about a third of the group was con, and a third of the group was undecided. The idea was that we would not go into the group trying to change somebody else's mind. Well, maybe we were trying to change the mind of the people in the middle, but that we would instead be trying to understand the other side's position so well that we could explain it back to them in a way that they would say, yes, that's what I mean. Everybody who was on the committee was thought to be a person who could play nicely with others and not run with scissors and could get along and respect the opinions of the other people the way that the other people in the group had found that the Spirit of God had led them to understand the topic. Well, it was quite awkward. After the first few meetings, when we had gotten to know one another and we had prayed together, there was one member of the group who never came back again. Um, about the third meeting, we began to study the pertinent scriptures together and to explain to one another what we understood those scriptures to say. It could have been one of those us versus them things, but it didn't turn out that way. It certainly was not at all what I expected. What I was surprised about is that everybody knew which passages we were talking about. Everybody had done their homework. Nobody needed more information about what the Bible said about it. I was also surprised that nobody said, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I think. We'll just throw that out. All of them were wrestling with what the scripture said and had come to an understanding, very different understandings, but believed that they had reached their conclusion from what they read in the scripture. All of them were people who loved God, who loved scripture, who loved people. Nobody was there because they were unspiritual or ignorant. Everybody had come to the table, godly and scholarly people, and yet who disagreed about this subject. Go figure that the Spirit could lead people to very different opinions like that. I like it that way mm, most of the time. But unity in the midst of diversity gets very sticky very fast, doesn't it? I love the Church of Jesus Christ. It is, in the best sense, my tribe. It is my people. It is a place that I identify with Christians around the world, with brothers and sisters in Christ through the ages, with people in the local community who are Christians, I tell you, the people on the worship team will tell you, World Communion Sunday, when we celebrate the church around the world, or All Saints Day, when we celebrate the, in, the Christians through history, I am in hog heaven. Those are my days. I love the church. I have worked in the church for nearly 30 years. So it has become my extended family. It's where I have made my fondest friends. It is a place where I have been challenged and supported and a place where I have grown. But it is also a place of great tension where I have experienced horrible hurt and betrayal. Not here in this congregation, but in the larger church. It is a place where we each bring our own brokenness, our own need for God's mercy. And sometimes, even though we're forgiven by God, we just are not always easy to be around. Our differences with one another make us really uncomfortable. They sometimes just bring out our worst, don't they? Sometimes we compete 
for who is right. We step on one another. We hurt one another. And sometimes we hurt one another very deeply. Jesus knew how hard this was going to be for us. At his last supper, he prayed for us that we would be one and that we would be able to live into that oneness with all the difference that he knew that we would have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, World War II pastor, author, in his book Life Together, says we come to the church with dreams, with an idealized vision of what life together is going to be. He calls them wish dreams. We expect that people are going to be like us and that we are all going to get along so well. But he says until we can let go of that dream, that kind of uniformity that we would like to see in the church, we can't even begin to know the magnitude of what it is that God has done in his mercy. God has created something so much bigger to create unity that brings together individuals from all parts of the world and all times in history and all of our vast cultural differences and make us one and make us members of one another. I think Paul was very wise when he started this section of Romans where he's going to talk about the community of the church to start right as he did today. Establish a level playing field. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. God's mercy changes everything. You are part of the body of Christ because of God's mercy. I am part of the body of Christ because of God's mercy. So is the person in the church who drives you crazy. God's mercy changes everything. And that is really good news, isn't it? As we affirm our faith today, we do so in Paul's words from the Ephesians about the unity of the church as you find them printed in your bulletin. So let us stand and affirm our faith together. In case you don't recognize it, the words that you will read are from the translation of the message. They are a contemporary translation, which perhaps will help us hear it afresh. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For we are called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, to stay together both outwardly and inwardly. We have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything we are and think and do is permeated with oneness. And so as an expression of God's mercy that we have each received, we extend God's mercy to one another. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's turn and pass the peace of Christ to one another. We bring to the Lord our morning offering.
Let us pray. We praise you, our Holy Father, for sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, to live among us full of grace and truth. He made you known to all who would receive him, sharing our joy and our sorrows. He healed the sick and was a friend to sinners, and we trust him to overcome every power that can hurt or divide us, and we believe that one day he will set all things right. And we thank you for your church, and as your children, you've called us to pray for the church. And so may your church continue to be committed to the preaching and teaching of your word, reaching out to the poor and the outcast, boldly declaring your sovereignty over all the earth, and rising up with courage to confront the causes of hatred and fear, and cause us to use our gifts and talents for your glory and your honor, always pointing to a more excellent way. For your church around the world, we pray for protection from persecution, for leaders to be faithful to their congregations, and for their people to reach out to their communities to be globally minded in spreading the good news. And we lift up our own church, praying for all who walk through these doors, make them receptive to your word and truth, and cause them to feel welcomed and deepen them in their love and desire for Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing song is a song called Beneath the Cross. You'll find it on the music insert, and we'll sing this song together.
If you, if you would like to know more about us as a congregation, consider uh, transferring your membership here or becoming a member of us. There will be a class at 10 o'clock in Tankersley Hall. And we hope to see you all back this evening for a concert at 5 with Mark and Greta. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Thank you.